You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Download the Spotify Green Room app and find one of our Locked On rooms today. This episode is going to be a mailbag episode, answering some of your questions about Tyler Hero, Jay Crowder, Pamela Bio, and much, much more. Got a bunch of questions sent in via Twitter, also via email and other places. So thank you so much for all of you who sent those in. And I appreciate all the support from everybody today. Actually, it's been a very positive day. Had a great podcast yesterday about Tyler Hero and the latest news and reports about him and why he, in my opinion, will not get traded this offseason. And uh, it seems like it's going over pretty well. So thank you so much for everybody who's listened. And if you haven't listened, well, go back and check those out because it's a great episode. But again, on to today's episode, a mailbag. And I'll start off with this question that comes in from my favorite yoga lady. That's Claudia, who writes in, what are your feelings about the Heat letting Jay Crowder walk? His three-point shooting is what we need now. He's back in the finals. So with him, would we have made it? That's a that's a lot to break down there. So it, it's let's just say, first of all, the decision to let Crowder walk. Understandable. Again, Miami positioning themselves to retain the catchphrase flexibility when it comes to the salary cap. They had their eyes on a bigger prize. They had their eyes on Giannis. They had their eyes on Kawhi, if he is, in fact, going to be a target for Heat this offseason. They had their eyes on Bradley Beal and other players. And as great as it is to bring back a player like Jay Crowder, I think it was restrictive of what they could have done in the future. And given that, I, I think we have to just look. I mean, it happened in 2008, 2009 to lead up into 2010. You sacrificed two very good seasons of Dwayne Wade's peak when he was playing at a near, not arguably an MVP level, because you're trying to retain that flexibility because you have a plan, 2010. Now, it might backfire, you know? It it happened to Miami in 2014. It happened in Miami in 2016. You add players, you sign players, you make the wrong move, you have a plan, the plan doesn't work out the way you think it does. You're kind of left scrambling. But if the plan works like it does in 2010, how can you argue with the results? You swing big, you gamble, you take a risk, and then when it pays off, it pays off big. And I think that's what Miami's ultimate saving grace is, is that when they hit, they hit great. They hit big. And I think you have to give them the credit and the leeway to make these kinds of Short-term decisions, sacrifices, if you will, knowing that there is a bigger potential gain to be had. Now, maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe it does not work out. Who knows what happens this offseason? There's still a lot of questions. I don't think Kawhi comes to Miami. I don't even know if they could add Kyle Lowry. I don't even know if they could re-sign Duncan Robinson. So that's a lot to handle because now all of a sudden you're looking at a finals team that's missing several key players and you're not able to make the kind of additions that you think that you might in free agency. And, well, there's a lot to be had. There's a lot of questions that could come up and a lot of doubt about the the front office's ability to make these kinds of moves. But, you know, that's just the way they've operated and have operated for 26 seasons under Pat Riley, and that's how they'll continue to operate in the future. So we have to just accept that. Other teams tank for no reason in order to take a chance on a draft pick that may or may not pay off. It doesn't work. 
You don't want to have years of losing culture where your veterans are frustrated and tired and have to deal with that in the hopes that some 19-year-old with one year of college experience is going to save your franchise. When the hell has that ever happened? Like with the exception of maybe a Luka Doncic or a LeBron James, a generational player. I mean, let's look at the finals example now that Crowder is part of this question. DeAndre Aiden is a hell of a player. He's turned into a fine player in year three. And, of course, always dogged by the, oh, why'd you select him over Luka Doncic talk? It's taken a lot of time for him to be realized to even get to this level of his potential. Meanwhile, Doncic has been playing at this all-star level for a couple seasons already, and he's gotten the I'm sorry, he's gotten the Mavericks to, I mean, being a very good team. What has changed for the Phoenix Suns this year? It's not Aiton taking another level, although I'm not trashing Aiton and his ability whatsoever. It's Chris Paul. It's Devin Booker, an all-star level player that you already had on the roster before you draft Aiton, and et cetera. No 19-year-old kid, unless they are a Doncic or LeBron James, is going to save your franchise. So making these sacrifices on the draft and everything else just don't pay off. But to Claudia's original question, again, that's why they let Jay Crowder walk. Not a fan of it, but I knew it was going to happen. I talked to Jay. I heard him talking about it and his exit interview last season. The way he kept reiterating how much it was important for him to have security. The fact that he, as I've mentioned many times, was he signed in Boston long-term. And what happened? Oh, I'm sorry, even before that, he signed with Dallas. Then he was traded to Boston and then traded to Cleveland for Isaiah with Isaiah Thomas, excuse me, in exchange for Kyrie Irving. Then traded to Utah and then traded to Memphis and then traded to Miami, all on the same deal. That's the kind of security a contract provides. So when you're looking at a player at his age, and as great as his, his run with Miami was, as much as I think he would have loved to be back as part of this culture, it was a decision on two parts. They weren't going to offer more than a one-year deal. He had to take more than a one-year deal. It just was a conflict that could not be resolved. And so kudos to him for sticking to his guns. He made his decisions, and now he's back in the NBA Finals. As far as his three-point shooting, a lot better than I would have thought. He shot 39% this year. I, I still think of it as fool's gold, and maybe that's I'm at a point now where he's at age 32, has continued to improve and just become a very solid three-point shooter. What his shooting was last season with Miami, a complete aberration. I didn't think it was going to be replicated. I don't think he could duplicate that as easily. He has. A 39% shooting at almost seven attempts per game, that's pretty damn good. That's that's sharpshooter levels. I mean, that's better than Tyler, always almost as good as Duncan, you know, who's a historically great NBA shooter. That, you know, to have that shooting on your roster is certainly a plus. And so I think it would have been much more beneficial for Miami. He would have been a guy who would have provided some stability because there was no teaching him. There was no incorporating. There was no fluctuating of lineups if he had re-signed with Miami. You knew who the four was going to be at the start of the season. It was going to be Jay Crowder. And so you didn't have to tinker with these lineups. You didn't have to try to incorporate Mo Harkless. You didn't have to try to get KZ Opala to see if he could reach his potential and on and on. So many different questions. You don't pull off that trade. Who knows what happens with Myers Leonard? Maybe Trevor Ariza is your bench player then, and he can come in and provide a little added bonus, a little defense and things of that sort. You know, look, I mean, who knows? The the what ifs, it, it to me, remind, always reminds me of the butterfly effect. Who knows how one, you know, one flutter of a set of wings in the Pacific will affect anything, you know. It could change the, the, the whole topography of the world. And, and so it's hard to kind of see how the dominoes would fall after they acquire or re-sign a player like Crowder. But yes, it would have been immensely beneficial. At the very least, 
it would have been very, very beneficial to have a guy like Jay who can provide defense and quality three-point shooting. Would Miami have made it with Jay back in the lineup? Let's assume their record would have been better. Probably closer to the top four seed than they were as the sixth seed this past year. Let's say they may even challenge the third seed with Jay in there. And I think he could have realistically had that kind of impact. So many wasted possessions over the course of the year because you couldn't get any offense out of the four. You couldn't get any kind of consistent defense. You had bad games, close games that a guy like Jay with his shooting, his defense, his presence would have made a huge point of emphasis for Miami. I think it would have been a great benefit to have him there. Let's say you're a three seed, maybe even a four seed. I think you wipe the floor with the Knicks. You could probably handle the Sixers. I don't know if you could challenge the Nets. I don't know if you would match up as well with the Bucks, but I think you you like your chances. And I think it would have been a pretty decent matchup. I don't know if they would have been able to go all the way to the NBA Finals, but they could have gone a lot further than they did. Let's just say, you know what? Screw it. They, they would have gone to the finals. I think they could have advanced with, with Jay Crowder. And, and it's not to say necessarily about Jay and his ability on the floor, but also a point that I want to make uh, at large, knowing that Solomon Hill was able to contribute to Atlanta, not just on the court, but as a locker room presence. One of the things that I think was missing from Miami's roster this year was good guys. Guys that you need to have, veterans specifically, that can – ease the tension in that locker room to get things going that when there are times that are tough and there are tough stretches during a course of the season, especially like this last terrible season when everybody was depressed and, and woken up at three o'clock in the morning for random COVID testing and you couldn't go out, you couldn't have dinners, you couldn't have team events, you couldn't do anything, you know, not that anybody outside of the NBA could, but again, given the high stakes and the high pressures of life in the NBA, you kind of need those, I'm not kind of, you need those moments to alleviate the pressure that invariably builds up over the course of the season. And so I think it would have been great to have guys like Solomon, like Jay back, that could help, that could form friendships, that could get your young guys to commit, that could break the most out of this team. And, and I think that's a big part that was overlooked of this past season. Look, I, I've talked about this many times, but I'll reiterate it yes, once again. That previous season, even before the hiatus in mid-March, the bubble and everything else, I saw chemistry in that locker room that I had never seen in, in almost a decade of covering the NBA. I've seen locker rooms all over the place. I've seen teams succeed despite locker rooms. And I didn't know if they could make it all the way to the NBA Finals like they did last year in the bubble, because again, so many different factors. But the chemistry was there. Those guys in that locker room loved each other. And I'll say this from... Even as you know, whatever happened with Myers, I and mean, we all know what happened with him, but look, he added something there. Derek Jones Jr. was a guy that everybody got along with. Tyler, as a rookie, everybody got along with. There were so many positive presences there, and Solomon Hill was a big part of it. Like a guy that, you know, maybe isn't getting a lot of burn, a lot of playing time, but he just knows he fits in. He's just happy to be here, and he helps everybody out. He takes things to another level, and I think he, he helps – Guys on the team kind of enjoy the process a little bit more. And and look, Jimmy came in there with a fresh attitude. I think he was excited to be part of this team after in year one, after his experiences in Philadelphia and in Minnesota and, of course, in Chicago. And so I think that brought a little different energy. The pressure was on this team this past year, and it might have been alleviated with guys like Solomon Hill and certainly with Jay Crowder. But I'll move on and talk a little bit more about Bam Adebayo in the next segment before answering a question about who the best boxer on this team would be. 
You're listening to Locked on Heat. This episode is brought to you by Green Room. It's the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download. And once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. Green Room is a perfect place to start or join a conversation about the league. You'll find fans just like you on Green Room from watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news or rumors. When the offseason really kicks into full gear around free agency, you're going to want to be on Green Room for the latest news, to break it all down, to talk to your other fans, to encourage other people that support your team about the moves that are being made around the NBA. So make sure you go download the free Green Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. I know you won't want to miss it. I'm planning to be there at some point this summer, so make sure that you log on and create your profile. I can't wait to hear everybody's thoughts on the Miami Heat, so I'll see you there. Green Room, changing the way we talk sports. Miami Heat are out of the playoffs, but the road to the finals still continues, and our coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it, and at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. So I misspoke. Uh, That question about the boxing won't be on today's show. It'll be on an upcoming episode. But again, so many great questions. Hard to remember and keep track of exactly which ones I was going to be answering on today's episode, but just more of a tease. Stay tuned so you can get my, my take from Sean Rochester, he asked a question about uh, who the best boxer of the team would be. So that should be an interesting response from me. Uh, anyway, moving on about Bam at a bio. The underscore captain writes in via Twitter, predict Bam's stat line for next season. Wow. Well, great and timely question. Hot on the heels of some grainy, wonderful footage. It's, it's that time of year. Muscle watch. Uh, you know, video montages, open gym footage. We're going to see a lot of it over the next couple months because that's just the reality. It'll be guys working out, building up a sweat, working with their trainers. And we've all talked about this before. It's, you know, mutually beneficial. Players show that they've been putting in the work in. Trainers get to build their brand and hire more high-profile clients. Uh, we've seen it, Taylor Sports Group over in Las Vegas, working with Jason Tatum and Bam Adebayo and other NBA players. Uh, Michael Beasley, I think one of them as well. So uh, not, that's the Portland Trailblazers, Michael Beasley, again, signing a 10-day, or not a 10-day, he's joined Portland's summer league team, so it's going to be interesting to see how he performs there. But anyway, uh, Bam putting in some work. Uh, we saw him, you know, Baseline turnaround jumpers, creating off the dribble, doing all the kinds of things that people do. Uh, I'm sorry, not people, because you put me in an open gym and I'm not going to do any of that crap. But you show me you, you show me hoisting badly 18-foot jumpers and see what happens. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, that's not bad. I shouldn't, I shouldn't denigrate my game like that. I got game. I can play. I can hold my own. Not against Bam and Abayo. Not against anybody in the NBA, of course. But, you know, anyway, as far as the uh, NBA, you know, grainy footage, uh, as everything we'll see. You know, bam, putting on a show. I'm not excited about it. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, look at that. He's putting in the work. We knew Bam was going to put in the work. He's ready. He's going to take off this and that. Like, you know, we saw this from him last summer. We, we saw him from it the, the summer before. Not last summer, last offseason. I got to keep making that, that adjustment there because after the short offseason, there wasn't a lot of time for him to turn things around after the NBA Finals. But we know he's capable of these things. He is an incredible ability, uh, just a combination of athleticism and speed and talent and everything else. We know he can do these things. 
Is he going to do it against seven foot one Brook Lopez? Is he going to do it against Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid or other players that provide a challenge? You know, that, that can provide an obstacle that don't let him have a clear path to the rim. We've seen that that his his kryptonite. You know, as as much of a a Superman as Bam can be on the court, you throw a seven footer out there, and all of a sudden he just doesn't know how to operate the same way he can, the same way we've seen him operate. So. I just don't think he feels as comfortable out there. He's shooting these open gym shots over guys that are like 6'9". That's not encouraging. We knew he could do that. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to denigrate what he's done or what he's capable of doing or what he's showing that he can do. But at the same time, I'm certainly not going to take anything from that and go, okay, this is it. This is the transformation that we've all been waiting for. To underscore captain, the underscore captain's question, though, or request, more than a question, uh, last summer, last year, excuse me, last season, 18.7 points, 9 rebounds, 5.4 assists for Bam and Abayo. And I thought about this. I said, you know what? How do you predict the stat line for next season? And it's not as easy as just tossing numbers out there to see what might happen. You know, there's a lot of factors that could play into it. If we expect the kind of things that normally happen to NBA players, he's going to be entering year five. There's continued growth. There's expanding his repertoire to some degree. There's the possibility of him improving things here and there, You know, just tweaking little things. As we've heard so many times, the cliched response about greats of the game, they are always adding to their repertoire. They're always adding to their game. It's not just as easy. It's, I think it's a little performative. You know, we I think it's kind of become, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Apocryphal? You know, when we saw Michael Jordan transform his game from, I'll just dunk it over everybody or five everybody's anytime I have the ball in my hand when he was, you know, in the early parts of his career from 83 to, you know, 87, 88. And then at some point he changed his game to that turnaround jumper, you know, when it was more of a transformation to the old man game. And so we start to hear about, oh, he's adding something to his game. That, that doesn't always happen. I don't know that Bam is going to quote-unquote add anything to his game, but there are factors to consider. I think we'll also start to see a shift, and I think this is important, that Jimmy's role will be somewhat reduced. I think it's time to make that change because if you want to continue to adapt, you have to be... You have to rely on Jimmy a little bit less. This team has fallen into a trap of relying so heavily on Jimmy, and we saw what happened during the playoffs when they counted on Jimmy who was locked in, who was going to get this team and bail them out and couldn't. So relying on Jimmy and given his lack of a jump shot and his inability in certain moments to get to the free throw line and not wanting to put him at risk for injury by having him constantly go to the line and draw contact, I think you have to see a slight shift in whether or not you you go to Jimmy as often. I think you go to Bam a little bit more. So I would say that maybe in terms of his field goal percent or field goal attempts, a slight uptick there. But will Duncan Robinson be on this team? And if he is, and again, I don't think he will be, if Duncan Robinson is on this team, then you're going to have a little bit more scoring distributed around, depending on who you will eventually add to replace Duncan. But certainly I think Bam's assist numbers are going to take a bit of a hit. And I think that's something to consider as well. Will Bam be more aggressive? Probably. I think just slightly. I, I just I don't think he was ever as unaggressive as everybody made it seem. And I also don't think he's capable of just turning it on now and wanting to put up, 
you know, 25 shots per game. He's not going to draw eight, nine fouls per game and get to the line that many times. He's not going to be that kind of player because I think his playmaking is still a big component of who he is as a player. And I don't think he's going to just erase that to be this version of a go-to score that everybody wants him to be. And maybe he's capable of it. Maybe he's not. We don't know. We've never seen this from him at any level. And I don't think it's fair to expect him to achieve that in year five after you know his offseason. So who does the team add? If they add another four, a, a space, you know, a space a four spacing four that can stretch it and shoot the three as prolifically as you know Jay Crowder or maybe even slightly better than Trevor Ariza, that changes things. Maybe that can kind of add to some of the assist numbers that will take a hit after Duncan's departure. Uh, you know, if they add a point guard, specifically Kyle Lowry, how does that impact what Bam can do? So to me, I. I I'm predicting a a stat line with a caveat. And my caveat is that, one, I don't think Duncan is on the team next year. And, two, that they do add Kyle Lowry. I think that's their target. I don't think Kawhi is realistic. I've said this before. I still continue to maintain. I don't think Kawhi is joining this team next year. But I think the stat line is 22.3 points. 10.9 10.9 rebounds, so an increase in his rebounding. Why? Because he's going to be playing more around the basket. He's not going to be creating as much from the elbow. His assists are going to take a slight dip, 4.1 assists, because Kyle's going to have the ball in his hands. We're going to see a little bit more uh, playmaking from the point guard position that we did last year, a little less playmaking perhaps from Jimmy, and a little bit less from Bam as well. But I think his blocks are going to be up from one block per game last year to about 1.8 blocks, a career high for him. Why? Because Kyle's perimeter defense, if he's on the team, will allow Bam to roam more as a help defender. He doesn't have to pick up those guys. He doesn't have to get – they don't have to switch as much. They could wind up double teaming. They could wind up you know, creating this uh, impenetrable wall in the perimeter and things of that sort. But Kyle is such a good one-on-one defender that he can at least – slow a, 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 some, a ball handler down from getting to the rim quickly. And if that's the case, then you have Bam roaming as a help defender and a better rim protector, and he'll pro- probably wind up getting more shots, uh, more block shots per game than he has throughout any point of his, uh, of his NBA career. So I think that's something to look forward to. Agree, disagree? Send in your suggestions because that's, that's what I think. And, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong about all this. If, if Duncan comes back, We'll probably see a similar stat line from him, again, uh, in terms of assists and rebounds. I just I think Duncan's a pretty solid rebounder overall. Uh, he's okay for his size. He's just he's not expected to get rebounds, so he's it, it doesn't really change the dynamic in terms of his re- of Bam's rebounds per game. Uh, but, you know, he's going to be wind up. If he gets paid the way a lot of people expect him to, I think Duncan's going to have a bigger role in offense, so Bam's points per game may hover around the same, even though he's – Looks like he might be more aggressive. These are things to consider. Like one player can't just change the dynamic of how they make an impact. Like I, I heard the conversation about John Collins, you know, whose statistics took a little bit of a dip this past season uh, because they were a better team because they had more talent. They had Danilo Gallinari, they had uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, they had other guys on that roster that were contributing, and that's why Atlanta was able to make the run they did where they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. But Collins' individual numbers took a dive, and now that he's entering restricted free agency and a lot of teams are questioning whether or not he's worth the money he thinks he's going to command, is it realistic to think he can put up the numbers that he did this past season or the season before when he was more prolific as a scorer and rebounder and things of that sort. And it's all about fit. 
And look, you make these changes if it works out. You bring in a guy like Chris Bosch, who was putting up 20-something points per game in Toronto, knowing Phil well he's not going to put up 20-something points per game in Miami because he doesn't have to because it's about balance, because it's about putting up those shots when they count and, and key moments of a game and clutch situations. It's not about empty stats. You know, those stats look great on a, on a roster that isn't particularly good and you're not winning a lot, but, you know, is it more important to put up – 15 quality points per game than 22 on a losing team? Uh, you know, I think that's a pretty easy question to answer there. But moving on, I'll answer some more of your questions in the next segment on this mailbag edition of Locked on Heat. But let me tell you a little bit about Built Bar. If you haven't tried them by now, you're doing yourself a disservice. But right now, a limited time flavor to get you involved. That's the Built Grasshopper Cookie Bar. Ah. Available only from July 6th through 9th. So get on it. What does it taste like? It's like Built Bar's version of the classic thin mint cookie that everybody loves for the Girl Scouts. All the flavor without all that sugar, 150 calories, 17 grams of protein, and only 5 grams of sugar. There are so many delicious flavors to choose from. And best of all, you can build your own box, a mixed box of all of your favorites, including the new Built Grasshopper Cookie Bar. Again, they've got all the nutrients you're looking for. Order today and get the grasshopper cookie or raspberry or mint brownie or cherry barcia or coconut or cookies and cream or any of your favorites. So many different great ones to choose from, but only if you go to BuiltBar.com. BuiltBar, the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. That's pretty good. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off, but only at BuiltBar.com. And when you're done saving money at BuiltBar, Place a little wager over at Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to get in all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. You can track all the action at Bet Online, but you get all the latest news, odds, and info on all your sporting needs, including the Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, and so much more. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information you might be looking for. Don't sit on the sidelines. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for the runs to the playoffs. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your. 50% welcome bonus, but only on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget to use the promo code Locked On. Starting July 19th, the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 is presented by Locked On and Odyssey. Featuring analysis from the GOAT of NBA mock drafts, Chad Ford, and Odyssey NBA experts Brian Scalabrine and former general manager Ryan McDonough, our Locked On NBA local experts will make selections and trades for your favorite basketball teams throughout this week-long special event. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Odyssey is your audio home for all the sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y, Odyssey. Gone a little long, so maybe I'll make this next question a little bit short but this one comes from jordan who writes in via the locked on heat at gmail.com email address he sends in this question about the portland trailblazers he says i've seen all this quote unquote noise about dame lillard and i can't help but feel it's as likely as lebron somehow coming back for the 21 22 season if portland does blow it up I think the realistic guard options are CJ or Norman Powell, CJ McCollum, of course. Which you, which would you prefer or think is the more likely option for Miami? Well, let's see. Uh, as far as the realistic chances of them blowing up, I, I think they are going to blow it up. 
Norm Powell is a free agent. C.J. McCollum under contract, but likely to be included in a trade for Ben Simmons, which seems to be growing more and more steam rolling into the NBA draft, which seems like it's probably going to be a key moment as far as NBA transactions are taking place. Like the season's ended, everybody's going to... I think building up towards this moment because the draft is, you know, so wide open. There's so many different players that you can choose from, so many different things that you can see. So you'll see a lot of activity mounting at around the draft. As the draft comes closer, you'll see a lot more activity taking place there. So it should be interesting to see how that all plays out. Again, McCollum likely headed to Philadelphia, so I don't think that's a likely scenario for Miami. So I'll, I'll focus a little bit more on what McCollum could do, but again, mostly on what Powell represents as an option. McCollum, a good ball handler, subpar defender, good shot creator. A lot of people have made a comparison from McCollum to Hero. And again, a Hero can create off the bounce. He's got a good step back dribble. I think McCollum's a little bit more polished, obviously, a little bit better shooter, a little bit more experience, a little smaller than Hero too. Not not in terms of weight or stout or strength, but just smaller in terms of height. You're not going to put him as your point guard. That's not a role that I think he can thrive in either. He's not going to be your traditional playmaker. He is a scorer, a guy who can be prolific and can be a go-to scorer on occasion. But that's not the role that's ever been asked of him because, well, you got Dame Lillard there, so no reason for CJ to step up in that regard. I love CJ. I love talking to CJ. Smart guy. Journalism background, ask a lot of great questions, answers a lot of great questions. So a great interview for me. I I would love to have McCollum on the roster because it would be fun to talk to him yet again. But uh, I just, I don't see it as a likely scenario. So I think that's a big part of it. Now, Norman Powell, another guy I love talking to, smart guy, went through a lot, uh, a four-year player at USC. And he feels like that was a big reason why he slipped in the draft as much as he did. So likely... Could have been a first-round pick if he had just gotten, you know, if he had left a little bit early. But, again, he stayed four years. Somewhat tweener of a size there. Somewhat inconsistent during his tenure in Toronto. And I think his trade, as much as the talk about trading Kyle Lowry, kind of signified where they saw themselves. They were willing to break up this championship core of which Powell was a contributor you know, that's the thing. He's a champion. He knows what it takes. He's been on the highest stage, and he can't play at a high level. But they weren't going to aff- be able to afford him next season as he enters free agency this summer. And so they traded in Portland. Um, you know, they got some less expensive players back in return, knowing that, again, Powell was going to cost whoever signs him a lot of money. So I think that's part of the problem there, too, is that Miami might want the kind of fit that Powell can bring, but the price tag is going to be too high. We're seeing reports of Duncan Robinson-like numbers in between 18 and $20 million a year for a player like Norman Powell who can defend, who can't score. His three-point shooting, again, somewhat inconsistent, but uh, he's you know capable of making a three-point shot. He can put the ball down. He can be explosive around the rim. I like Norm's game. You know, he only shot 36% from three-point range in Portland, but before that he was shooting 44% during in 42 games for Toronto. So clearly the three-point shot is there. I think he's probably somewhat underrated. He was just learning how to fit in, and he struggled in Portland and unfortunately wasn't able to contribute uh, to their, their chances in the playoffs. I like Norm. I like his fit. I can't see exactly what his role would be like here in Miami because, again, he would be asked to be your go-to scorer, and maybe he thrives there, right? Maybe you shift your offense again and you have more playmaking 
from Jimmy and Bam, and then you just dump the ball out to Norm and let him work. Can he be that guy? I, I think I've seen flashes from him like that, but I just don't know if he's ready to embrace that role completely. Maybe he's at that point. And we've seen this before where, you know, player X joins a team after a role that was somewhat limiting or reduced what he's capable of. And then all of a sudden they get into that right situation. And they find a way to thrive. Who knows? I could see him mostly going to maybe a bad team and being that guy. Depends on what he wants. He's already got that ring, right? Uh, maybe it's more about chasing the bag and right now securing the, the kind of contract that he probably can. He could probably get a four-year, $80 million deal. And that's a lot of money to pass up. And so it's about what's more important for Norm. I have no insight there. I can't give you any kind of prediction as to where he'll go or what he'll do. My feeling is that he's more likely, again, to chase the money because that's what you have to acquire at this point. This is his last best chance at a real big contract. Who knows what happens four or five years from now with injury, with a reduced role. If, if he, Let's say he signs in Miami. And he's, what, 27, 28 years old now, and he's entering his peak. As a player, uh, let me see exactly how old he is. He's 28. Just turned 28 a few weeks ago. So he's at right at that point where he's entering his peak. He could come to Miami, maybe have a reduced role, maybe be a spotlight type player. And I don't know how the front office views him. I don't think they see him like that. I don't think they're going to not pay Duncan $20 million a year in order to pay that $20 million to, to Norm. But let's say he comes to Miami and he's not the highlight or he's not the, the focus for Miami's offense. He takes a reduced role four years down the road. Does he have a good chance at a contract? He'll probably do a three and one, right? A three with a player option. So he can test the free agency waters again in three seasons and see whether or not he's due for another big contract. But he'll have to put up monster numbers during this next three years in order to warrant that kind of contract. And I don't know how realistic that is either. So we'll see how it goes. With Norm, I just I don't think it's likely that he signs in Miami. I don't think it's likely that CJ is a target for Miami either. I just don't think either of them are a huge upgrade over the combination that you currently have of Kendrick, uh, Duncan, and Tyler. Uh, it's just it's they're all one player, but they would cost as much as the current three players that you have on the roster. So I just I don't see it happening. Now this last question also comes in from Jordan, and I appreciate him sending this in. He asks as a vegetarian. What are some of my favorite dishes to make? My partner and I recently made the decision to eat less meat. So that's what Jordan is asking. I am, of course, a vegetarian. But I'll admit this, as I think I have before. I'm not a very good one. I uh, I know all too well what what uh, what I what meat represents and why why it does taste great to people. I just have made the ethical decision not to eat meat. Part of what I love now about being a vegetarian is, quite honestly, that there are so many fantastic options that are plant-based. Not just the Beyond Burgers or the Impossible Burgers, but Impossible, Beyond, you know, Beyond Brand, Guardian, Morningstar. I'm probably missing a few of them. Corn. There's a million different brands out there that aren't always as expensive. And, and you know, I shop in Miami. I shop at Publix. Publix has BOGO, baby. Buy one, get one. They do it all the time. Occasionally, you can get Morningstar burgers. Buy one, get one. You get Guardian burgers. Buy one, get one. They have chicken tenders, chicken tenders. They have other types of chicken products, chicken-like products. They all taste great. You pop them in the air fryer. You cover them in your favorite sauces. You can incorporate them into any dishes you like. So I I can't say that, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to cop out here, Jordan. Uh, I can't 
say that there's a favorite dish I like to make because the reality is there's almost any dish I can make as long as I use one of these soy-based or, or plant-based you know, products. They're, they're all so versatile and they're great. They have crumbles. You can make all kinds of different dishes, you know, like pastas. You can make a veggie deal. My wife makes a ridiculous veggie deal. That's what she calls it. That's hers. So trademark uh, my wife there. That that I love that our two-year-old enjoys immensely and is a fantastic tasting product. You know, you cut up a couple Spanish olives and make a nice sofrito, you know, ketchup, onions, a couple of tomato-based sauce maybe to add to it. I, I think it comes out really, really delicious. Uh, I think it's fantastic. You can add it to rice. You can add it to pastas. You can use it for tacos, all sorts of things. That's the whole thing. Any kind of, I mean, I, I don't know what, what recipes or what kind of, uh, genre of food that you're looking for something gourmet or anything like that but me I'm a, I'm a pretty simple guy i love sandwiches i love mexican food tex-mex really i love you know pasta dishes i love all sorts of things but i like a good burger i love a great veggie burger and i think we found a really nice mix of things if you ask me what recipes i personally like to make i make a damn good lasagna uh, I, I mix uh, a little regatta cheese with some uh, sun-dried tomatoes, blend that together, use that as a filler in between there, use a little soy crumble, some soy sausage from Gardein, Italian sausage from Gardein, really fantastic, great on pizzas, great on lots of different dishes. Again, try these products. And look, if you're more of your traditional vegetarian and you like more you know, actual veggies than I do, which great for you. My wife is one of those people. She can eat vegetables by the truck full. I cannot. I have... I, again, I am a terrible vegetarian. I have just made this ethical decision, you know. But I, I don't like vegetables per se. And, and she finds a way to make them really tasty. I should have had her on the podcast so she could answer this question specifically. But, again, there's lots of different options out there. And I, I hope that anybody who's still listening explores them. Because if you just if you just add a couple of, you know, soy-based products, plant-based products, whatever you want to call them, and supplement or complement what you normally add to your, your weekly menu – I think you'll make a fantastic difference. Some people claim that they feel significantly better. Uh, I, I think that's great. If you want to do it for health reasons, I think there's plenty of options there. If you want to do it for a variety of other reasons, which exist, not just ethical ones as me, but also because the reality is that a meat-based agriculture is really damaging for the environment. And we're all talking about you know, the impacts in the environment and everything else, the global warming and so many other concerns that are realistic out there. Well, uh, one thing that you can do, probably eat less meat because let's say livestock cows in particular wind up doing a lot of damage to the environment. And so the more we reduce that, this growing soy, growing plants like this, help the environment so think about it from that perspective meat damages plants do not that just makes basic sense so if you're looking for something logical as a reason to make a shift or even again a small tweak to your weekly diet to a plant-based one then that's as good a reason as any thanks so much again for everybody who and you know asked questions i hope i provided the answers that you're looking for but as always Send those in. I'm available. You can reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com like Jordan did or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Be sure to please subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes if you can. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting today's episode. But thanks to all of you. I'm David Ramil signing off for now. 